With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Kristen Peak, NBA analyst for Yahoo Sports. During our conversation, we broke down all the possibilities for Golden State with the 7th and 14th picks. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Um, we had you on here a few weeks ago, kind of giving us a little bit of a primer on the draft, but now we're in crunch mode. We're a few days out. We're talking on a Monday afternoon. Draft is Thursday. Uh, so we're a few days out, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I know this is probably your craziest time of the entire year, being an NBA draft expert. Um, so I really appreciate you taking some time <laughs> out of your schedule this week for us. Um, but I basically just wanted to to have you on to run down all the possibilities for the Warriors. There's just this has been a fascinating year. You know, they have two picks in the lottery, seven and fourteen, and there's not a lot of clarity about what what's going to happen on there. And I think a lot of it's going to depend on, um, you know, what happens before those picks and, and, and what trade scenarios are out there. But I wanted, I know I, I, I reach out to my sources and those things, but you're dialed in on this 24 seven. This is your, your main thing in a lot of ways, especially this time of year. So I wanted to kind of get a pulse on what you're hearing. So just before we get into a lot of the specifics, you know, when you reach out to people and talk to them about the Warriors, or you talk to people within the Warriors about seven and 14, you know, what kind of intel are you getting right now? I mean, right now, if we're looking at seven, I mean, there's three guys I think that are going to kind of fall in line around that sort of area. And that's uh, G League Ignite wing, Jonathan Kaminga, who we've talked about last time, uh, Baylor guard Davian Mitchell, who won a national title and kind of blew up in the tournament. And one guy that has just been climbing up draft boards after workouts and interviewing really well is uh, James Booknight from UConn. He's six foot five, very explosive guard, averaged 20 points per game his sophomore year at UConn. So those are the three players at seven, I think, that Golden State is really targeting. Yeah, I agree. Those are those are the names that I've been hearing at seven as well. Um, one name that I have heard at seven also is is potentially Josh Giddy um, as a, as an upside play. Um, I actually I think I think they're really intrigued by Giddy. I don't I'm not sure they're 100 percent confident he'll be available at 14. Um, so I think that that's the only one I would maybe throw in there. Um, but the three names that you mentioned are the names I've heard the most. Um, and it, it's interesting because they all bring different things to the table, right? I mean, um, Kaminga would be more of a, a high ceiling guy, upside play, um, probably has maybe the brightest future of those three long term. Um, but Davion Mitchell, defensive oriented, a plug and play guy who can come in, probably be a rotation player right away, specifically as a defender. And then Book Knight is more of a scoring wing, uh, slasher type. Um, 
you know, I think he's passable defensively, but he, he hangs his hat on the scoring. So what do you think in terms of what the Warriors need right now? What do you think they should be thinking? Not what are they thinking, but if you're going to be, if you're putting yourself in Bob Myers shoes right now, what do you, what would you prioritize? I mean, the other question that, you know, we have to really talk about is, are they going to package the seven and 14 pick and try to make a play for Brad Beal? I don't think just the seven and 14 and maybe Wiseman and uh, Wiggins is going to be enough, but uh, it could be. So it's, it's more, there's, there's a ton of layers, but in in assuming that they're going to keep the pick and not go for uh, the Brad Beal trade. Um, I, I, you know, me, I'm high on Kaminga. I actually just saw him at the peach jam in a, in Augusta, uh, South Carolina. And he was there cheering on his former AAU team, New York Rens. And he looked great. He looks bigger than when I remember him. And he said something to me that kind of put me, it, it kind of surprised me in the sense of like, where his headspace is in terms of being a prospect and being good all the time. Like we were watching Amani Bates play Bronny James and afterwards I'm talking to him and, and I, and Amani was off. Like he could not shoot. He was one for eight in the first half. And, you know, I just said to him, I was like, look, J- like JK, like these guys have been here already for nine days. He's probably tired. And, and Kaminga looked me dead and I was like, don't matter. He said, if you are a competitor, you show up and you play every game. I don't care if you're tired. How are you going to play 82 games in the NBA? And I'm like, Oh, Okay. Like I can respect that, you know? Um, so I think he brings the most to the table in terms of he's there at seven. Um, and I know the warriors were going down again, um, to see him early this week before he headed to New York for the draft. Um, so I like him, you know, dynamic scorer, great on the ISO, not shooting great percentage wise, but a great rebounder and someone that is, has an NBA body ready and you can plug in right away. Yeah. He's, he's a, fascinating player to talk about to me because like you touched upon physically he's so developed he's so impressive and you see you see his highlights and you can see a lot of what what you like in guys like Victor Oladipo and you know those kind of downhill wings who are so prized in the NBA and he looks in a lot of ways like he has all of the potential in the world to be an all-star caliber guy and all NBA guy all those things but his numbers, his efficiency, those things, I think are significant red flags. I think that they're, they're, they're the reason why he's dropping. Um, and I think he's more of a project than a lot of scouts thought a year ago. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing the, the hesitation to maybe pull the trigger on him in the top five or even top six. Um, do you think that those concerns are warranted and why why do you think exactly he's he's starting to potentially you know fall on mock drafts you know do you think that it's warranted and do you think this is real because sometimes like is this smoke and mirrors or is he actually a real possibility potentially to be available for the warriors at seven no um i mean it's the draft right so everyone's gonna nitpick and they're gonna deep dive on everyone just like the team like they already know everything about every single player that they're looking at they've done their homework they've done their intel and it's not necessarily you know sometimes like what their numbers are on the court but maybe you know some things they've heard about them off the court that would give teams pause um i've been around jk a lot and his brother and I've never had, like, I think he's a great kid and I've never had a problem with him in terms of character wise and 
and the G League Ignite team, they have nothing but good things to say about his work ethic. So the numbers don't really concern me because if you are a worker, you can change those numbers. I mean, Scotty Barnes doesn't have great numbers either. And he's looking like a lock at number five to Orlando Magic. Um, people saying he can't shoot. And if you just watch one or two college basketball games, if you just watch the tournament, if you're just looking at that, then that's what you're going to see. And it's, I think there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, and in terms of why he's dropping, I think it's more of the off the court concerns than what he can do on the court. Yeah, I, I talked to Brian Shaw, his Julia Ignite coach the other day, and I talked to him specifically about, I think one of the things you're alluding to, which is uh, some scouts have concerns about the fact that he shut down early in the G League bubble um, because of a minor injury. Um, and Shaw told me that basically he got some advice from his agent and the people around him that it would be better just to shut things down. And I think some scouts and front offices didn't like that uh, route. They didn't, they didn't think that that reflected super well. Um, and from what I've heard too, he's been kind of hard to get in touch with throughout the process. Um, he's just, there's concerns that maybe is he flaky? Is he elusive? Is he, is he aloof? Um, you know, he, he has a reputation for, for being a bit of a loner. Um, I know people who, who were close to that Julia Ignite team who told me that he didn't really hang out with anyone. He spent all of his time alone. That's not a bad thing necessarily, um, but it is, uh, I think some front offices have some concerns along those lines. You know, when you hear those things, do you think um, those are legitimate concerns or do you think maybe it's a little bit overly nitpicky when we're talking about some of that stuff? A little bit of both, right? Because you are the warriors, right? And you have a number seven and 14 pick and you just, you're just looking for the right piece to the puzzle, right? It's not necessarily like you're not rebuilding from scratch. You don't need that ISO player. That's going to take, you know, 50 shots a game, right? So the warriors kind of have that luxury to kind of sit back and say, all right, yes. Is he great? Does, is his upside, you know, crazy good? Yes. But let's look at these other two players. How are they going to be in the locker room? How are they going to be off the bench? Are they going to be better for our team and our chemistry and with coach, you know, Steve Kerr and everything like there's different things that they have the luxury of looking at other than just best possible player. Right. And, you know, you touched upon it a little bit earlier, but plan a is, is to trade one or both of these picks. And in an ideal world, they would put together a package for Bradley Beal type guy uh, you know, it would start with the seven and 14 picks and probably have to include someone like James Wiseman um, and then just to, to match salaries, Andrew Wiggins. Um, but I think it seems like that something like that is unlikely to happen by Thursday. Um, I think the Warriors are almost resigned at this point to the fact that that's not going to happen. Um, you know, the Bradley Beal trade is probably not going to happen. If it does happen, it's probably not going to happen by Thursday. Um, and then secondary types of trades, um, it's tough because, you know, if you think that Bradley Beal might become available in coming weeks, do you want to make a trade where you package seven and 14 for just like a starter caliber player when, when you could have maybe packaged those, uh, for, for Beal, it's, it's tough. Um, but I think that I believe that they're going to end up keeping both picks and that they're going to end up using both picks but I still think they need to go into the draft with the thought that with trade value at the front of their minds. And so I think Kaminga 
would be a good pick, not not just because of his long-term upside, but because he probably has the best trade value of anyone they could take at seven, potentially, if he's available, which is not right. a guarantee. Um, if he's available at seven, I think that they'll end up taking him largely because he has the most trade value. And if 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 someone like Beal becomes available, they can say, hey, look at this you know, stud teenager uh, who is going to be a future all-star. And if you're, you know, looking to rebuild, he's a good guy to rebuild, rebuild around. I think that um, that would be, that would be a huge factor in their thought process. Yes, I agree. He is the most value trade value in that, in that range. But I also feel like even if they couldn't work out a trade and let's say hypothetically Bradley Beal didn't become available. I still feel like they should take Kaminga if he's available um, because let's be honest, most rookies aren't super helpful to winning teams right away. You know, there's no guarantees that even Davion Mitchell is going to be a huge difference maker or, or book night. I mean, they might be, they probably have a better chance of, of helping right away than, um, than someone like Kaminga. But I think, the Warriors to, to get over the top and become bona fide contenders, it's going to not so much depend on who they take in the strap. It's going to depend on who they get with the mid-level, what kind of trades they're able to orchestrate, those types of things. And so I think that you need to, if, if Kaminga's there, you need to take Kaminga and take the pressure off of him right away. Learn from what happened last year with James Wiseman and say, look, we have no expectations for this guy next season. He's just a, a future stud who we're going to let, you know, get some reps in the G league. And we believe that he's going to be a difference maker in a year or two. Um, and then with the 14 pick, try to take someone who you feel like is going to be more helpful um, as a rookie. And look, I, I think Kaminga can be helpful. I just don't think you can plug him into that like eight or nine man rotation right away. Um, and so maybe there's someone at 14 who you feel more confident that could fill that type of role, which I do think there will be guys available in that range who, who can do that. But I do think who they take at seven is going to affect their thought process with 14. So if they take someone like Kaminga at seven, they're more likely to take like a Chris Duarte type at 14, someone who's older, more seasoned, who can help right away. Whereas if they take, you know, someone like a Davion Mitchell at seven, I think they're more, more likely to, to roll the dice and take more of an upside play at 14. Maybe like if jo- Josh Giddy's available um, or like a Keon Johnson or Springer, or those types of guys. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so it's it's. Uh, but the the in, when you're talking about Kamingo, one thing that's interesting to me is like it, it looks like Orlando, or at least the speculation is that Orlando is probably going to take Scotty Barnes at five, which right. I can't knock. I really like Scotty Barnes. I think he's a good pick at five. I think even at five, that's a steal. I think yeah. Scotty is going to be that big of a difference maker at the NBA level. We'll have more of my conversation with Kristen Peak right after the break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So let's assume that those top four guys go top four. 
Barnes has five. The really interesting thing to me is what does Oklahoma City do at six? Right. Like, what are you hearing about OKC right now? I w- listen, I will not hear anything from OKC until Thursday. Sam Presti and staff, they keep everything kind of close to, you know, close to they don't they don't want anything out right until draft day. And then, you know, if they want trade rumors, because they've got what six drafts, draft picks in this draft. So if they yeah. want any trade rumors out there as to who as to who they're targeting, maybe to trade up for a guy and trade with a the team, then that's when I'll start to hear who they're maybe trying to piece together for this, you know, crazy super team they're trying to build in the next yeah. four or five years with 30 something draft picks. Um, uh, yeah. So I have no idea. Like I know Kaminga has been in to work out with them. I know Davion Mitchell has even Scotty went through OKC. Um, I'm sure they were hoping Scotty would be there at six. Um, but from what I'm hearing inside the organization, they think that he'll be gone by then. So um, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> I, I, say, I, I think, yeah. I think Kaminga is definitely a possibility. Um, I don't see Sam as being too concerned about um, what you said, like he's a loner or uh, you know, he kind of keeps to himself because that's a young team and Kaminga is a young player. So it's not like you're going in there with like a 30 something year old that you have to try to find common things in the locker room. I mean, OKC is a young up and coming team. So I don't think he would be too concerned about that. So they might look at Kaminga. They might look at Davion Mitchell. They also, I mean, Moses Moody could also go all the way up to six. Like you said, Josh Giddy is another name I'm hearing where people are seeing really great upside in terms of his playmaking ability. And the fact that he led the NBL in assists and also triple doubles this past season. And I talked to an NBL executive and they told me that he's, that they thought he was a better playmaker than LaMelo ball. And I just said, you know, and and you just kind of have to take that for what it is. Um, That's their opinion. But um, I've only seen him in film. I didn't get, I didn't get a chance to go over there and see him in person. Um, So, yeah, I think those are a few players in play for Oklahoma city. The, the name that's been linked a lot to Oklahoma city is book night. Yes. We, yes. Book night as well. Yes. uh, Book night has been, kind of the popular pick for them on mock drafts recently yes um and you know i guess it it kind of de- like you said they're they're closed-lipped it kind of just depends on what sam Presti's thought process is um part of me feels like if i'm oklahoma city i want some i know that they're in rebuild mode but at, at a certain point you need guys that can play like now like you want to be somewhat competitive just to start getting the ball rolling and get some positive momentum going and you know can i stop you right there yeah can i stop you right there all right next year's draft class banger like great draft class you got chet holgram palo ventura jaden hardy great draft class the next three not great in terms of i mean yes amani bates but after watching amani all last week he's not who everyone thinks he is like he's training in the wrong direction right now. yeah um and so i can see them tanking one more season for next year's draft class okay yeah yeah so you you think that they're thinking more of 2022 than and trying to okay um that would maybe point toward taking kaminga potentially but yeah um if they keep it but like then again we we don't know it's it's uh it's a fascinating situation to be in but let's say kaminga isn't on the board at seven um and the warriors are keeping both picks 
Um, who who would be your pick? I mean, we talked about guys who are in play there. Who would be your pick if you're Bob Myers? I love Davion Mitchell at that pick. I mean, I don't know why he's trending down. Maybe he hasn't been playing well in workouts, but look, he's the best on-ball defender, and I know people don't really care that much about defense and pressure at the NBA level, but um, he's a guy with experience that um, is has a great personality, is going to be a great locker room guy, and is a hell of a player. I mean, the way he played in the NCAA tournament and basically led his team to beating an undefeated Gonzaga. Like that was insanely impressive. And just seeing how he rose to the occasion. I mean, you want a guy on your NBA team that loves to play basketball so much that they are going to give it their all day in and day out, get in the gym, work on what they need to work on um, and be a great pro, you know, like, like you said, uh, Never, not every guy in this draft that gets picked is going to be an all-star franchise changing player. Right. I want to say there's probably three guys in this draft class um, that kind of fit that mold. But when you're looking at David Mitchell or James Booknight, I think both of them kind of bring that thought, like they're going to have a long career in the NBA, giving solid minutes to any team just because they love the game of basketball that much. And they know what it's about. They're not just here to get their money and right. call it a day, you know, three years in. I completely understand everything you're saying, and I completely understand the argument for Mitchell, but I have some reservations about him just as a top 10 pick. I mean, when you're talking about a top 10 pick, I think you want someone who at least has a chance to be a stud down the line, to be like a, a an all-star caliber guy or at least close to it. And the, the track record for players in Mitchell's mold as lottery picks is not great. I mean, when you when you talk about guys who are 22 years old, who, um, you know, don't have great measurables, um, he's he, he, he was underwhelming in terms of his height and his wingspan at the combine. Um, th- those guys just don't have a great track record historically. And like, could do I think he's going to be a really solid rotation player for a long time? Yeah, but I think there's a lot of guys in this draft who are going to be really solid rotation players for a long time. And do I want to take him at seven? I'm not sure I do. That's just my feeling, though. I mean, what you're saying exactly about the very things that you're saying right now about Mitchell is exactly what everyone was saying about Desmond Bain last year. And he he was yeah. fine. He was fine his rookie year. Same thing with Sadiq Bay. Yes. And Sadiq Bey, you know, was arguably Detroit's second best player last season, uh, which might say more about Detroit than Sadiq Bey. But um, yeah, no, I completely understand. And I, I've I've talked to my friend uh, and and fellow beat writer on on my pod about this before, and his argument was, look, do the Warriors need like a future star at this pick? Not really. I mean, they they need someone who's going to help them right away. They they want to maximize the Steph Curry window. And I think I understand the argument of just like, look, we're just going to take him at seven. Hope he's like kind of a, maybe a a better version or on par with someone like Marcus smart and, and go from there and, and not worry about the future accolades um, and just hope that he can help maximize this window. Now I completely understand that thought process. And um, I think it's very plausible there's no way he's available at 14, right? I think there's no way. He I don't think so. No, yeah. not looking at to who's picking 
No, no. So if Kaminga, but if, if Kaminga is there, you would take Kaminga over. I would take Kaminga, yeah. And you are slowly convincing me to take Book Night over Mitchell. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm honestly not even super high on Book Night, but I just I, I think he just has more potential. And I think when you're talking about a top 10 pick, that matters. I think I think Book Night has a nice mix of being able to help you right away and having a higher ceiling. Um, which I think in an ideal world is kind of they want to they would love to have love to have both best of both worlds and I think Book Night is a little bit of that um, but uh, you know and but I'll be honest with you like I've my personal guy that like I, everyone has like the guy in the draft that they've kind of gone down the YouTube rabbit hole with and just kind of developed a love affair with and for me this year uh, that is Josh Giddy um, I just love his intangibles. I love his court vision. I, I think he has a, he has some skills that will translate right away. Um, he's probably the best passer in the league or in the in this draft. His size is really impressive. His age, I love his age. He doesn't turn 19 till October. Uh, tons of upside there. I think he could be a franchise point guard, but I also think he could help you next season because he's played at a high level in Australia and and more than held his own. Do you think he should warrant serious consideration at seven? Like, is he, is he a guy that should be in that mix in your mind? Yeah, I do. And I'll tell you one thing, like, uh, I don't know. I want to say a month or six weeks ago, I was at an event with every NBA team was there. There were scouts, there were front office people. And the question that I got asked from every single team uh, was, okay, we know pretty much the top five who would you take six to 14? Because there isn't that much of a gap in terms of upside and talent. And so it's really just preference at this point. So would would it surprise me if they took Josh Giddy at seven? No, not at all. Because I honestly think probably seven to 11 are interchangeable and just on preference. So building off that, as we talked about before, um, you know, who they take at seven will probably dictate what they're thinking at 14. Um, let's say I'm going to present two different scenarios to you. And I want in each scenario, I want you to give me a couple guys who you would be targeting at 14, um, in those scenarios. So scenario one, they take Jonathan Kaminga falls a seven. They take Kaminga at seven. Who are you looking at 14? Who could realistically be there? I'm looking at Keon Johnson. I mean, this, I I can't believe that, you know, in terms of just from what I'm hearing that he's fallen outside the top 10, I think he's got extreme upside, but maybe that's why. And maybe he hasn't been doing well in, in workouts, but he was amazing at the combine. I mean, he broke a 20 year record in vertical jump. I think he had like a 48 inch vertical jump. So you got a guy that can jump out of the gym. He has the fastest first step I've seen, you know, off the wing and he's unstoppable in transition. Um, so if Keon Johnson is still there at 14 and you guys take, or you guys, the Warriors take Kaminga at seven, he would be a steal. He would be a steal at 14. But then you're taking two high upside guys, neither of whom can necessarily be rotation players next season. That might be hard to sell. We say that. Okay. And and I will play the devil's advocate because I, I was in the gym all last summer with Tyrese Halliburton and everything that all the feedback he was getting was, okay, he's a stash player. He's too skinny. His shooting mechanics are off. He can't shoot. And he was like a top three finalist for rookie of the year this year. So when you say you, he, we don't, 
you you can say you can project like they're not yeah, a plug Terry, and play guy, but we don't Terry know. Terry Halliburton is not the same player as Keon Johnson. I mean, I think everyone expected Tyrese Halliburton to be able to help a team as a rookie. I'm not. Do you think Keon Johnson could be a rotation guy as a rookie? No. Yeah. I, I, under- I mean, if, okay, if you, if we're looking for a rotational guy, then I'm going to, I'm going to say Corey Kisper. I don't know if he'll be there, but right. he's a guy that is, would be able to come in right away. A phenomenal shooter, um, a little bit older, has great size at six foot seven and, um, yeah. you know, but I don't know if he'll be there. Would you, let's say Kisper and Duarte and, um, Trey Murphy are all available. Mm. Who do you do you like Kispert the most of those three? I do. I and then I like Trey. I really like Trey. I don't know if a team would pull the plug on him in the lottery. Mm. Um, but I really I like Trey. And I know that he's been climbing up the draft boards. Just he's kind of got this really weird looking shot, but it went in. He shot 43% from three at Virginia. And knowing that he's coming from a coach and a program like Virginia kind of give some like credibility to who he is as a player. Yeah. And, and, you know, Halliburton had a weird shot. That doesn't seem to be an issue. Um, one, one guy I know the Warriors really like is Duarte. They just think he's one of the best shooters in this draft. They think he could come in right away and be a, a factor, but he's 24 years old. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like he's older than like, four guys on the roster, four or five guys on the roster right now. I mean, that's old. That's, that's my concern with him. Um, but yeah. And then, so to, to kind of build off what we were talking about, if they took more of an established guy like Mitchell at seven, I'm guessing you would, you would want to go the, the Keon Johnson route if he's available. I would. Yeah. Or, I mean, if you're looking for more size, Zaire Williams, I know a lot of teams are high on him after his workouts on the Stanford wing, he measured in at six foot 10 mm-hmm. at the combine, which is insane. You know, he's like, Oh, I guess I'm still growing. I'm just 19. That was his answer to how are you six ten now? Like yeah. he was, he was, I was like teetering on the six, eight side during the season. Um, but I, I love Zaire's game. He's a Los Angeles kid that I've been following since he was a freshman in high school and a lot of people don't know this, but two summers ago during quarantine, he actually was in Las Vegas, um, working out every, like from, I want to say it was June to November, every single day he was working out with Tyrese Halliburton, Malachi Flynn, um, and Josh Green during their pre-draft stuff. So, um, I think that's kind of given him his confidence in terms of who he can be at the next level. And I think the NBA game caters to him a little bit more than the college game in terms of spacing and be able to take a guy off the dribble and not have like a zone defense packed in. Why, why wasn't he better at Stanford? He, so he's dealing with injuries. And then also um, there was a death in the family that kept him sidelined for the, a little bit. I don't, I want to say he was out for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, you know, they just weren't like a tournament team. So yeah, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough to get That's back into that winning mold. Yeah. Well, I do know that Joe Lacob, being a Stanford guy, loves his Stanford guys. Kirk Lacob, his son, being a Stanford guy, loves his Stanford guys. And I know that they like Zaire a lot. So, And they obviously have some sway in that in that war room. So it's possible that he could be uh, an option at 14 as well. Um, Kristen, this was all super informative, super helpful, super insightful. Thank you so much. You've 
giving me a better uh, read on the situation. And uh, look, bottom line is, we're, none of us are really going to know until until we see who they end up taking at seven and fourteen. Assuming they actually keep both of those picks, this is such a, a weird draft, but it's been fun, right? This is my favorite draft class in the last spanning the last ten years. I love love this draft class, so I'm ex- I'm really excited for Thursday. I am too, Kristen. Thank you so much. Where can our uh, listeners and readers find your stuff if they're silly enough to not already be following you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Kristen Peak, or you can read all my stuff on Yahoo Sports. And when's your next mock come out? Tuesday, Tuesday morning. And it'll be updated throughout the week in terms of what I'm hearing. Our thanks to Kristen Peak for joining me on the podcast. Really appreciated all of her insight on the draft. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 